This is Fam Electric Ghost, and we are live on the air with uh, Melbourne, Australia band Treebeard. And you guys are a uh, post rock, post metal band. And I said from Melbourne, yeah. you guys are. And uh, yeah, like it's it's really interesting to be able to talk to people from around the world. And that's why we're chatting here at 7 a.m. my time. Um, <laughs> but, but we also. Uh, has a, a preview from from your nostalgia album from 2021 that we're gonna we're gonna bring up, but uh, we like to go behind and they can go up to like an hour, depends on how how in depth we go in depth we go with it. But uh, we do have a sponsor that we have to mention. Um, Newsly.me is an iOS and Android app, uh, and if you use the coupon code Ghost 2021, you get one month free premium subscription. So what Newsly does is lets you, it reads the news back to you in a human voice, so you can stop scrolling and start listening. So again, use coupon code 20 Ghost 2021. That still works. You get one month free premium subscription. And then I've also got uh, one more sponsor that I'll grab real quick. It's uh, a European. Um, online lottery company called Double Jack Online. If you take your Android phone and scan that, you can do uh, online Powerball and Kino, and you can also become uh, an influencer for them and gain passive income. And they do NFTs and they do crowdfunding. So if you do an album, you can get in touch with them and they can help you set up a crowdfunding campaign. So that's the end of the sponsors. And then I also have your link tree I'm going to pull up. And going to keep that going through the whole thing. So that's good, right? Sweet. Sounds good. Yeah. Okay. So I've got a preview. I like to talk. I like to have the audience actually hear the band or, you know, before we get to the interview. So I've actually got a preview from this album that you did called Nostalgia. And we're going to mm. play it and we'll put you on view. We're going to play maybe like four or five minutes of it. And then we'll come back and do the full interview. Is that okay? Sounds yeah. great. Sounds cool. great. Hope everyone digs it. Yeah, cool. Thank you. I'll put you on mute and then we'll get into it. All right. So let's go.
Hey guys, I'm back. I just wanted to give a full uh, picture of what you sound like. So let me get you off of mute. So yeah, that's fantastic. I, in a, in an age where there's so many people in the box, and you know it's the age of hip hop, it's cool to see a band actually out there kicking kicking ass. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> uh, thank you. Thanks so much for um you know first of all just having us on and second of all sort of um platforming our music to your listeners i hope they enjoyed it and um yeah as you said sort of got a got a bit of a sense of um how while we do sort of identify within post-rock as a genre we're not necessarily um tied to any one style of song or dynamic of song we like to change it up pretty much um with everything we do i think yeah that's one thing I'm very interested in. If you you see my my kind of um, vibe on the on Instagram is I'm expansive sound experiments is my kind of grouped uh, symbol or production company for my own stuff because I like to go everywhere, and um, yeah. you know I like, I like funk, I like progressive rock bands like Genesis and Yes, but I also like bands like Black Flag and Who's Do and the Ramones. And the replacement mm-hmm. so i kind of like always like the punk aesthetic i like nirvana i like pearl jam i like you know i like grunge but i like punk i mean yeah. I, I started with I'm, I'm 54 years old and uh when i was a kid i saw joy division on mtv wow the first the first thing i was yeah. like well, that's that's what i want to do right and then, <laughs> and then they turned into new order and then i started looking for sense and i always thought that like they kind of depeche mode Trent Reznor, Joy Division kind of take on sense is the way I try to do things is they kind of have a punk aesthetic. And so I've always yeah. tried to do it, even though it's electronic and try to give a punk aesthetic to what I'm doing or like a rock kind of band aesthetic to it. So when did you guys, are you, uh, who wants to go first? Cause I always ask the question, like when did you first get into music and like what age? Uh, so who wants mm-hmm. to go first with that question? Up to you, yeah. sir. Uh, yeah, I'll go first, I suppose. Um, so I suppose uh, music was always a big part of my upbringing, I guess, just through my parents, um, you know, being in the car, listening to whatever. Um, I remember a lot of Queen, Bohemian Rhapsody is a vivid memory of mine when I was a kid, I think, just because mm-hmm. it was just such an out there, wacky song for a kid to listen to. But um as I got older, realized how brilliant it actually is as a song as well, beyond the goofy sort of opera bit. Um, but I would I would say I probably got really into music around age 10 or so. Linkin Park was the sort of gateway band for me because they were pretty big at the time in that sort of early 2000s period. Um, and obviously being a kid, I wasn't very um, accustomed to the more harsher extreme elements of rock or metal music so Linkin Park were very palatable for me from that age and really serve as a great gateway to getting into everything else I listen to now but um yeah started off on drums and eventually to bass and then now guitar which is what I play Treebeard um sort of my main instrument these days yeah yeah and my I guess background with music um I luckily grew up in quite a musical family. My dad used to work at Yamaha and used to used to sort of be around the recording studio when they'd have like Kylie Minogue and John Farnham and like Ice House oh, wow. come through and <laughs> and awesome. um, yeah. So I was luckily sort of exposed to a lot of great music as a kid. Um, I know when I was like 
in kinder or I was from a very early age I used to take like Marilyn Manson tapes into kindergarten like I had like the dope show on a cassette tape and would take that into my little kindergarten class and Nick Cave as well Red Right Hand was like my favorite song as a kid um so yeah pretty dark shit I guess <laughs> from that age but um yeah yeah I um I, I guess what sort of got me into playing music was Kiss randomly i think yeah that was just uh well, i'm, I'm a child of the 70s so a kiss yeah, was like, I, was, yeah, I'm totally. a child. I was there when they first showed up and it's like all the parents were outraged right yeah it was like, it was like total outrage like they were like they're drinking they're drinking they're spitting blood they're like doing all this yeah. demonic stuff and like i'm coming from a, like a black you know family that's going to church and they're like yeah what are you listening to? What is that? Yeah, what, yeah. what is that? It's like, it's like well, it's yeah. cool. It's cool. It's like my dad said, that's not cool. <laughs> yeah, I um, I loved, I guess, just how over the top it was. And as a kid, when you're looking at dudes in makeup with explosions coming off the stage and riffing guitar solos, it was like, yeah, it was just, it really spoke to me. And I picked up guitar because of Ace Freely and, Mm -hmm. sort of went down that rock path for a while and I think in my teen years got into the more metal side of things got into bands like Gajira, Black Dahlia, Murder, Cannibal Corpse sort of went down that route and just yeah I think nowadays I listen to everything but um yeah had sort mm -hmm. of humble beginnings with rock music mm -hmm. growing up. So you've been working on it since you were like 10 12 years old I think that's a very interesting thing because I've interviewed about 140 emerging independent bands and every time i wow. deal with guys who are singer songwriters they almost every one of them like 90 percent of them say that they're do they started like when they're like 10 or 12. it's just interesting mm -hmm. that like music seems to be kind of like people have a tendency to kind of uh have it like within them in my opinion they and then you kind of mm, it finds you and you are kind of like this kind of the idea of the victorian poets because i started off as a poet and uh there's the idea of, like the muse or the universe, I think all artists, yeah. whether you're a painter or an actor or musician, you kind of tap into that. And you, you either sure. have that or you don't have it. And if you have it, you just, you know, you, you can become a multi-instrument, you know, player. You can be like drums, mm. you can play everything, you, you get into production, you get deep into songwriting. You're not just a singer, you actually can write, you can produce. It just seems like that's what I always try to focus on, the, the folks that can kind of do that or in that zone. Um, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so, for sure. I don't think it's, um, sorry, you go. <laughs> no, no, you can go. Ahead. Oh, I, I just, I think it was interesting. You pointed out that, um, a lot of people seem to gravitate to music around that 10 to 12 going into adolescent years kind of thing, because I guess life gets a lot more complicated once you get into your teenage years and, um, music can sort of take on that muse, um, role in your life, as you sort of outlined, um, where like music does kind of act as, um, a distraction or a um yeah reprieve from a lot of the yeah did stuff you guys find did you find that you you know whether you're going to be big or not what i found with most uh creative types is is like you know i was with some guys when i was young right and we did like bar bands and then their girlfriends and wives told them to stop right but mm -hmm. i was the type of person like the creativity wasn't something that my wife or my daughter is going to tell me to stop or, or anybody yes, that yeah. I know was going to tell me. It's just always so inherently inside of me that I was never going to stop, right? No matter yeah. what anybody says. 
And it seems like to me Definitely. that's the type of person that's like you, you're going to do it whether you're in the top ten or the top bottom twenty two hundred or thousand. You you just do it because you believe in it. You want it. It's it's like a reprieve for your soul. You know what I mean? That you feel yeah, sure. it, it actually helps you, right? Yeah, definitely. I think like being creative is just sort of a non-negotiable for the for the both of us, and something that yeah. sort of always motivates us in every aspect of our life. And you know, whether Treebeard ends up being, you know, playing to thousands and thousands of people every night, or just you know, a really quiet local shows, I think we're really keen to do it, and it sort of does something like you said, for our souls that nothing else can do. So that's that's yeah. kind of why we do it. So, like, when you started to have an appreciation when you were, like, 10 or 12, were you actually writing your own music at that, like, age, or did when did you start really writing your own material? Um, it took a long time, for sure. I remember learning each instrument that I did learn growing up. It was um, entirely just playing bands by... Uh, sorry, songs by bands that I was into at the time. So a lot of like grunge music, a lot of um, sort of new metal. I was never really good enough to play the real metal stuff. So <laughs> I did love listening to it, but I was never very good at um, the speed. But um, it would have, it was a gradual process because I didn't think of myself as a writer for a very long time. And I'd been playing in bands where I was kind of the, um, the new guy, more or less, where I was um, coming into a situation where the band already had a pre-established sound and knew what they were going for, which was always really cool. I loved playing in every band I've ever been in pretty much. Um, but after a while I could, I would, you know, be playing and I would write something at home and I'd be like, I actually like this. Um, and I'd like to do something with it, but it never really fit the mold of any of the bands I was in at the time. So it would have been like around early twenties, like 21, 22. Um, I'm 26 now. So it's very recent for me, I guess. The last four um, years. Yeah. Yeah, more or less. And um, thankfully, I've been lucky enough to have um, come across some very great musicians like Reese um, throughout my time playing in bands. So I was able to sort of get some really talented people working in this project that I started as a solo thing with Treebeard. Um, and now it's sort of blossomed into, yeah, this really cool thing. Yeah. Yeah, I, I've kind of had the opposite journey, I think, to that, <laughs> where I, I was kind of always doing bands where I was the main songwriter, probably from uh, writing my music maybe from like the age of 16, 15, mm -hmm. 16 onwards, and I guess going through that journey of figuring out my sound and figuring out what I wanted to do and played in a few bands where I guess I was the the main songwriter, like Patty is in Treebeard at the moment, mm -hmm. and I think personally I – so I play bass in Treebeard – and after sort of going through that journey myself, I found more value out of seeing someone else's dream come together and being able to help them bring it to life. There was something more inspiring in that for me rather than writing my own songs, getting sick of my own songs, going through that <laughs> whole thing. Um, but having someone else's perspective on music and having that sort of put in front of me to help put my own spin on is like really inspiring for me. So I think, yeah, that's kind of where we're at with, with Treebeard and, and yeah, the kind of perspectives we're, we're coming from. You guys are like a quartet. You have four, four guys. Yes. So now, yeah. The cool thing I like about bands, like I'm a, I'm, I've been in bands and uh, I started like in like, you know, punk kind of Ramones 
you know, uh, New York doll kind of velvet underground inspired stuff. You know, I started like in 78, 79 with my brothers in the basement with a drummer from high school and another guitar player from high school. And we were just totally enthralled with like the Ramones and who she could do and the replacements and stuff like that. And, um, yeah, I was, I was the primary songwriter for a long time and I was a keyboardist and I found some old like mini mo and I was using that. Uh, and everybody was saying, well, how can you use that in a rock band? And I said, well, go <laughs> listen to Genesis, go listen to the yes. Yeah. yeah. Talking about like John Paul Jones is playing sense on Zeb. So I would always yeah. be the kind of guy like, go listen to Funkadelic. Like, I, I would point yeah. where was, right? and show where it wasn't cheesy, show where it was actually a Bernie yeah. Worrell or a Stevie Wonder or, or like, you know, even T. Townsend on like uh, Barbara O'Reilly. It's like, yeah. there's, you can do, you know, even like, you know, Rush, you know, Giddy Lee. Like this stuff you can do and you can be impressive and you don't have to sound cheesy. You can, you know, um, yeah. and I like the dynamic of being in a band. Because like you guys are saying, like I was a primary songwriter, but when I got four guys together, then suddenly like I had had a demo and maybe had an 808 beat, but the real drummer's going to mm-hmm. take that and actually yeah. like throw my 808 away and, and do the drums. <laughs> and then the bass, if I yeah. did it on the Moog, is like either I, I would get to keep it because I did something interesting or the bass player would take it over because they did a better take on it. And I think that kind of collaboration to me was always fantastic. You know, I haven't been in a band for a little while. I've just been doing doing solo stuff. But yeah, the dynamic of, an, of a band is like, does that, that kind of makes you excited every time you get to a session because like you have an idea, but when you have four personalities come into that idea, is that, that what you really like about being in a band format? Oh yeah, it's it's so cool. I think, yeah, like I was saying, Pat's the, the main songwriter of, of Treebeard, but when he brings a song we sort of all interpret it in our own way with our own experiences, our own influences. And, you know, it would just, it just turns into something, you know, the core idea is still there, but it turns into something, I guess, much bigger than, than what Mm -hmm. was originally sort of, you know, planned out. And that's, yeah, it's that collaborative process of just seeing different perspectives of where other people are coming from is just awesome. Um, And that's, yeah, one of the things I really like about playing in Treebeard, just seeing everyone else's ideas and, Mm -hmm. Yeah, seeing how something evolves just on everyone's different kind of mindset. Yeah, it really helps as well because they're much better musicians technically, I would say, than I am. Like, I write mm-hmm. the stuff, but um, in terms of, like, bass playing and lead guitar work and that kind of thing, I'm, well, even with drums, I'm probably the least proficient at my instrument in the band. But um, so when I'm playing the demos and stuff, the parts are a bit messy and they don't sound ideal but as soon as i put it with these guys it's like oh yep that's that's it <laughs> that's all i needed well, i think yeah. that's fantastic He's harsh on himself. <laughs> yeah, well i think it's really interesting like a demo is is kind of like it's the sketch you know it's like the rough draft if you're a writer i always think in terms of like soundscapes or sound paintings because mm-hmm. like a hendrix one time was asked like what is what is a like lady land what why does it sound that way and he mm-hmm. said it's a sound painting and then George Martin said the same thing about like Sergeant Peppers. He said, "Oh, like, it's a sound painting. We use the studio as an instrument." And Hendrix and yeah. George Martin, they were they were all kind of doing that. They were all like in this kind of zone. And the idea is like you can start with a sketch, and there's nothing wrong with it. I mean, sometimes I like demos. You know, if you think about Prince on Dirty Mind, he kind of just put demos out. He didn't. Mm. That album is very raw. It doesn't have a lot of production. Yeah. 
sometimes that the honesty of that, and if you get to grunge and punk, there's something about not overproducing, right? There's yeah. something about letting happy accidents stay in the mix. If you listen to yeah. like Exile mm-hmm. on Main Street, you know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. not not keep trying to make it perfect, but letting it be what it is. Yeah. So, yeah. I, I feel the same way with like the early Sabbath records, how like half the guitars are out of tune and, yeah. you know, drum hits where there shouldn't be drum hits, but it's just, there's such a beautiful character in that. Um, and it's just so real, you know, especially compared to some of today's music where it's all, you know, yeah. very, very professionally produced, which is also, you know, a real big art to it. But there's, yeah, something amazing in the um, in the rawness of it all, I guess. So you guys being a, a quartet and a traditional kind of rock band setup with the Pro Tools and the DAWs and stuff out there, do you guys get like kind of um, have the have the kind of struggle of do I make it as perfect as I can or do I rehearse it and just lay it down the way we rehearsed it? So yeah, do you guys think, kind of work through that? I think we're very much of the belief that um, we want to do as little post-production work as possible and we want to we want to play live and for it to sound amazing and then we record it. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and thankfully we have an absolutely amazing producer as our guitarist, Josh Bills. Um, he runs a studio called Vagabond Studios, which is just out of his house. Um, but yeah. the production, I'm sure you, you, you hear if you listen to the Treebeard album that he did, it's just like world-class stuff. Like he's a really, really talented guy. Um, yeah, and I think a lot of that comes, awesome. yeah, I think a lot of that comes from just his stance on enhancing the talent of what, you know, of kind yeah. of what's there already and not fucking with it too much. Um, so yeah, he, yeah, yeah, he, he just, um, yeah, he's just an amazing producer. And I think we're all on the same mindset of we don't want to play our instruments kind of averagely and go back and fix it all. We want to nail the takes and get things really, you know, really good. And I think as well that that helps when you play live as well because it sounds like the record. And, you know, yeah. when people see yeah. you live, you're like, oh, you know, it sounds like the record. It's like, yeah, well, <laughs> yeah, we recorded it. Like, if, yeah. if you go in the box, right, and and you go and do 64 tracks and you, like, mm. overdub and overdub and do all these things yeah. and cut and paste things all around, yeah, you can do that. But, like, it's like like I was reading an article about, like, Wilco and Yankee Hotel Foxtrot. Now, that wasn't, like like in the box, but it was a, an experimental album where they would go and take a song and then deconstruct it and move things around and do mm. all these crazy, crazy things they were doing. And it's very hard to play live. And they're actually yeah, trying I mean, to do that now. They're actually rehearsed it yeah. real heavy and are trying to do it. And it's super difficult because it's like a Sergeant Pepper type of thing. It's like, yeah, there's yeah, a yeah. lot of backward stuff. There's stuff that, that didn't, it's not naturally, easy to play like you get a band like the almonds they can just go out there and they play like blues fusion songs and they can go all over the place but it's easier to play in my opinion because it's like you're feeling it but if you construct yeah, yeah, yeah. something that's like on purpose to be difficult yeah that's that's, yeah. that's, that's hard to do <laughs> yeah i feel like um with our music it would have been very easy to get into the trap of um playing along to tracks and stuff which you know we talked about at first because there are a lot of um guitar layers and samples and synths and things like that going on um in certain songs where the song uh, would be drastically different (laughs) maybe if we were to try and um 
execute that okay. live. So instead, uh, we only really use samples for the voice, the voiceover lines and mm -hmm. things like that. Um, there's no like instruments or anything coming through in tracks. And um, while it may sound a little um, different to the album, the fact that it is a live performance kind of fills that out, I think. And um, it really, um, yeah, allows us to sort of um, stay in the moment, I suppose, and just keep um, well, yeah, everything. Yeah, I'm a big believer in that. One of the things like I kind of, I was a big, I'm a big music fan. I've seen tons of bands from like the who and, mm. uh, you know, actually when Antrosa was still playing with them and, uh, you know, I went to Woodstock when Woodstock was there, saw Nine Inch Nails oh. on stage. Um, and, oh, and, really? and, and yeah, and I saw yeah. the Green Day, Green Day Mud event. Um, oh. but, <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. But, 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 but what I always get kind of disappointed when I see some modern, you know, so-called modern rock band would show shows up at the stage, right? And they're running the song right out of the box, and yeah. they're totally locked in, and it sounds yeah. just like the single. And I'm like, I'm a guy that would go see Funkadelic for three yeah. nights in a row, and they would sound different. They sound like a jazz band because they just yeah. next to like Miles Davis or something because they're just changing it up. Or I see the Almonds, and they, even though they're playing blues guy, you know, they would do it differently. Dickie Betts does the solo, like he's in the spirit, but he'll go off and do different things. And to me, it's like, why do you lock yourself in? So you have no creativity yeah, when you're yeah. going live. To me, if that takes, if you're a musician, it takes all the fun out of it. Why, why would For I sure. like, put myself on a, on a rail, like a yeah. video game? Mm -hmm. And I'm stuck sure. yeah. real. <laughs> That's a good uh, metaphor. Some yeah. of my favorite live sets that I've seen have actually been where bands have made mistakes that i'm sure they would tell you like oh you know that that was a bad thing but like it made the show for me like just you know a pedal being you know dialed in wrong and delay being all over the place or you know something that makes it sound different really special and that you saw that special moment i think is much more exciting than hearing a band playing note for note 100 perfect mm -hmm. so yeah, I mean, you had some bands like the Eagles, not to put them down, but they used to find their own members if they didn't do the song exactly as Hotel oh, California. On the Hotel California tour, they were like, these songs got to be in the box. Like, And there was no box at that point. They just made themselves play yeah. them so tight that the band was like, it wasn't fun. And they kind <laughs> yeah. of destroyed themselves because they created this tension that they were having yeah. no fun at all. And I'm like, well, why yeah. would you do that? <laughs> For sure. Yeah. I think that's a big part of it as well is like you got to remember to have fun with it as well and get that enjoyment from the creative outlet. Like I've, you know, done bands before where I've, you know, wanted to like take it real seriously and, you know, we've got to play perfect live and stuff and you end up just beating the fun out of it. And, you know, I think what we do with this band is really try to enjoy it as much as possible and not get too stuck up on that stuff. And I think it shows live as well because you're not anxious about, you know, oh, I've got to play everything note for note right. And yeah, I think, I you, think you put a lot of unnecessary, unnecessary pressure and tension on the band that, sure. that if you let yourself kind of just go. And, like, you know, that's why I've always kind of had, like, loved, like, funk and jazz because it's kind of within jazz. You, you know you've got a set structure, but you can go off and then come back. Yeah. And progressive rock and, the, you know, uh, roots rock kind of does that. And I've always been yeah. into it because the, the similarities between like fusion and free jazz 
and funk and like, you know, that time of kind of like, you know, like funk rock is that you can come out of something and come back and you can get tight and then you can get loose and you can go back around. And that's, it's just fun. And when I play with guys that are into that mode, it's like, we don't even have to tell each other what we're doing. It's like, yeah. we kind of look at each other and you kind of know if I decide to do something different, then they go do something different and we all kind of can just do it. And, uh, and it's just like, oh, nobody's asking, what's the chord changes? We're like, no, we're not talking. We just do it. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. it's, it's kind of like feel. You, you have a feel-based thing, you know? And I think if you have a unit, like your band, you guys got a feel, right? You guys know kind of instinctively where you're going to go, right? Mm. Yeah, definitely. I think we do play off each other really well. And I, I think as well, you can... um you can see how well a band does that when they make a mistake live, uh, yeah. which is, yeah, it's because I think if the band members don't know each other enough and their playing styles, that can, when, you know, things might derail. But I think with us, we're all kind of quite familiar with one another. And if something happens to go wrong, we can pick it up pretty easily because yeah. we're all really familiar with how, you know, it, what, it, what each other guy's thinking. And, yeah, I think, I think that's a big... Uh, I, I guess that, that reveals, yeah, when a band sort of makes a mistake, you know, how well yeah. they know each other live. Yeah. I think that's really important, especially if, you know, you think about all these guys in the box. Not that I don't have boxes, man. I've got, like, high stuff. But I love <laughs> my, you know, you see behind me, I got all my Moogs. Yeah. You know, I know yeah. about Moogs and hardware sense, and I don't even use a DAW. I use hardware recorder. <laughs> Uh, because I like to just capture stuff raw into a hardware recorder. I use like, you know, Zoom yeah, cool. R20s and R24s and stuff like that. And to me, like if I'm taking a Moog, Moog's inherently like it takes 20 minutes to warm a Moog up. It's analog. It behaves mm -hmm. differently every day I turn it on. And, yeah. and I kind of like listen to what it does. And it's like, oh, I'm going to go with that. I kind of let yeah. it tell me what I'm going to write. And that's what I like about it. Because for an electronic instrument, it's kind of like a guitar. Because it kind of, mm. like, whatever you put pedal or something you put on it or however you feel that day, it acts like that. It can it can act yeah. more organic than any kind of hardware box that people are using today. And that's why I try to tell people when I produce other people and they're totally in the box, I'm like, you maybe want to think about using, like, an organ or, or a piano or something to give it a little bit more honesty, yeah. you know? That's always been my whole thing in, in the mix is like, and not that you can't do it with samples. If you're a really good producer, you can make a very interesting thing. Like a guy like Earl Sweatshirt or something. Uh, you know, he, that guy, he, he's a poet. You know, you can get a guy that can do anything. You get the old school rappers that can do that. And I'm, I'm fine. I'm not yeah. against it. I just think people ought to think about, um, you know, how they do things and, and be less um, willing to get rid of the happy accident. Because I think music, the whole point of music from the 60s and 70s, if you listen to any of the records, is there's tons of errors. You know, technically there are errors all over the old stuff. And, but mm. it's actually beautiful. Mm. And the fact that it didn't get rid of the errors is like, to me, is like the core. And I always try to teach young, younger, younger producers and people, is like, sometimes you got to stop yourself from trying to fix that. <laughs> yeah, good job. I think, like you said, there's something really beautiful in playing off what your instrument is telling you, like whether it's a tube amp and it's, you know, breaking up a little bit more than usual or, you know, and it's it's dictating how hard you're, you're hitting on your guitar. I think you can get some really special moments 
mm. by listening to your instruments and your gear and yeah, what's yeah. going on that day. Yeah. I think if there was a story about the kinks, like, like the reason they got you really got me is they had a broken ear. Yeah. yeah. And you didn't try to fix it. And they, they were real pissed off about it. And they said, oh, I'll just go with it. And that that's the kind of thing to me is like the stories like that, or even Keith Richards just doing whatever he wanted, right? And you try to put Keith Keith guitar playing into a DAW, you'd have a hard time trying to control the BPM. Yeah. Yeah. But it's not, he's not playing that way. And yeah, so was like, yeah. that's why I tell people, like, could you track Keith on Exile? No, you can't. Yeah. You can't put him in the BPM on on a, on, a, on one of these new tools. It wouldn't work. So you, yeah. that, but there's something great about that. And why yeah. wouldn't you want to aspire to maybe go in that direction? Um, and I see people, more people are 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 getting back into organic, kind of feel based music, which is mm. is what I'm all about. Um, and I love the fact that, that you guys are doing that because I think that's very important <clears throat> to to have that still have that out there. Because um, I think it's it's just something I as a musician and and a, and a fan I'm really into it. So you said you have a, a really great producer. He's he's a member of the band. Yeah, uh, he's the guitar player who I um we both had met just through you know, networking within the scene we have here in Melbourne. Um, Reese lived with him for a time as well. Um, and I sort of involved him in the band initially because I needed someone to master the original recordings I had done with uh, another person producing who was a friend of mine uh, called David Chabert. And um, those recordings were just me. So I played the drums, I played the bass, I played the guitars, I did everything. Um they're still out there on Bandcamp if people are curious, but um, not the best versions of the songs in my opinion. But um, yeah, Josh mastered those recordings. And then when it came time to sort of um, think about live performances, Josh um, offered to just be in the band as a guitar player, which I was like, yeah, <laughs> let's do it. Um, so yeah, um, we're very lucky to have him. He's um, yeah, a very good person and musician and asset for the band as well in that way yeah uh, this year are you able to actually play live and tour because given the covid situation is it actually now um, possible to play yeah so it's been a tricky start to the band for sure because the lineup came together in late 2019 so we had two performances before the pandemic really took off and um i'm not sure how aware people are but melbourne by a lot of metrics had the most lockdown out of any city in the world yeah, i think we did yeah i've talked to like, like the two, senior work. two days or something 240 i think it was 70 something yeah, yeah. it was a, it was a long time yeah <laughs> um, i had talked to a and, band called the safety word and they had told me we, we had done a festival i do an online festival every year yeah and uh, they were supposed to play live and they couldn't because there was a lockdown <laughs> so they sent me a tape. Yeah. Um, so, but, um, yeah, I, I'm aware of your lockdown uh, issues. Yeah, <laughs> it was it was, it was brutal hard. for sure, and the band really did um, probably suffer a lot as a result in terms of um, lost time and lost um, opportunity, I suppose. But um, you know, despite all of that, we released the um, album in what June last year, so nearly a year ago. Um, and that was um, just before our second wave of lockdowns that we had that um, lasted up until about December or November, I think. So we've had a handful of performances in total 
<laughs> um, I think mm -hmm. we're on like seven or eight. However, um, the situation here in Australia at least seems to have um, largely subsided in terms of... Is now. So you, you, so you got like summer tours planned? Um, we've got at the moment a, a day festival booked for June um, that I can't give too many details about right now, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. But we've got that and it's more the motivation that we have to, um, you know, now that we can do it mm -hmm. um, we can actually get out there and start playing shows and um yeah look if festivals offer us we'd absolutely be down and you know we're starting to make more networks with um the local scene particularly as it pertains to like the prog and post-rock scene we have here in melbourne so you yeah, um, play those clubs like the whole club scene's opening back up so you can actually play more or less yeah, yeah more or less it has um because yeah thankfully like here we've got like 98% fully vaccinated and oh, that's um, not like us in the U S <laughs> we're, yeah. like, we're like at like, 70, 65, 70. Oh right. wow. Yeah. We didn't have a choice really. Anyway. <laughs> I don't want to get into like why the people don't understand that like, the same thing you do when you get the measles vaccine is like, you don't yeah. get that. Yeah, yeah. I guess you don't. <laughs> yeah, yeah no, that's a whole whole can of worms. But, um, it says like, okay, okay. I just want to play because I used to play New York and Boston, and mm -hmm. I haven't been able to do it. I just do live from my from my. You, you can probably see my stuff on Instagram, but I do yeah. these live performances. And I actually even have a Peg Festival called the Peg Bedroom Pref Producer Festival. And what I do is twice a year. I did one in February. I did one in June from July last year. I have podcast guests actually do a half hour set from wherever they can through this platform and play. And so you guys are invited because every podcast uh, guest is invited. We're going to try to do it again in July if you're open to doing it. Uh, we usually do on a weekend from like Friday to Sunday. We run from like Friday. We run at like six o'clock at night to 11 o'clock at night. But on Saturday and Sunday, we run from like seven in the morning to like 12 midnight. So we were able yeah, cool. to get different bands from different time zones because we talk to bands all over the yeah. world. Um, yeah, and awesome. so, like, you know, if you guys wanted to play like on a Saturday in July, we could run at six or seven in the morning, like the way we're doing now. It's just a, we, we go and we uh, sound check everybody, make sure they can do it. But being a band that actually plays instruments, that's just having your audio interface connect to this, and that's not that hard. Yeah. yeah. Like the bands that use DAWs, they take me like an hour to like get them to actually sound check <laughs> yeah. because all yeah. the drivers and stuff don't want to work. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, that'd be awesome. Yeah. We'd have to check with the other two guys um, if they're available and such. But yeah, we'd love to line that up. That'd be great. Yeah, yeah. If you just have a way to webcam it and then send it, this StreamYard's kind of cool. It can take two webcams. Um, mm. uh, just it has the ability to do two, and you can use OBS. And you can bring like four or five cams in. Yeah. Yeah, so you know how to use that. But yeah, we can mm. get into that. But we just like what we like to do is like the same way we interview bands. We like to give you mm. during this pandemic, we've given bands an opportunity to actually play in this festival to give themselves a play to place to like show their fans that they're still playing, you know, and that yeah. that's all we try to do, you know, to give, cause we think it's important. And, and, you know, live music is a big part of being an artist. Um, it's kind of how you present yourself. And I think it's how most bands actually even earn the living. Um, is that's the way it works. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. We do ask about streaming. One of the questions we ask and kind of segging into that is that bands, you know, pre-pandemic it's like you survive by you know getting in a econoline van and 
going from club to club across the U.S. That's how a lot of bands in the U.S. survive is they get a mm. following and they just build it up. Their streaming doesn't really give them that much money. There's actually, you know, selling T-shirts, selling merch, showing up at the club. That's how they actually yeah. earn a living. Is that the same thing like in Melbourne? For sure, yeah. Um, I suppose with streaming, it's one of those things where um, it's very convenient and I get the appeal definitely as a listener. Like I use Spotify, I won't be um, uh, dishonest about that. I absolutely understand where artists especially are coming from when they do have grievances with mm -hmm. the way streaming is set up. And um, fundamentally, I don't think it's going away, unfortunately. So there needs to be some sort of um, reckoning where a more... Um, fair system is developed for artists because um, the way I understand it is essentially record labels sold out artists in terms of the royalties and how that works. Yeah. Um, yeah we get, we had like micro pennies. It's like 0.04. Yeah, pennies. exactly. It's, um, it's pretty cooked. Um, so that's sort of my position on it. And, you know, I understand why a lot of bands also boycott a lot of the streaming services and that kind of thing. Yeah, um, in the, yeah, in the U.S., we've got some issues with like podcasters getting like a hundred million dollars, mm. right? And then musicians getting point oh four of a penny. Yeah, so, and so I'm a podcaster. Wild, I don't get that kind of money, but, but, yeah, like, no. <laughs> but like, how can your cool music platform? <laughs> a lot of musicians are kind of upset that like you, you're you're a music platforming to give this political podcast or a hundred million dollars and you've got musicians working musicians and you can only give us 0.04 of a penny that that yeah. in itself to me is like don't it shows that you don't even value the artist yeah because that yeah. is just it, whether it's political or not it's just the idea of the valuation of the artist work it's kind of a slap in the face to like why are you giving this 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 guy all this money out of the pie of everybody's subscription when you know you don't you think you should give us like you know five cents not point you know, <laughs> give, give, give us something I mean, even back in the day record labels on a nine dollar album were giving you like 10 cents you know yeah so there was never never there's always kind of a problem you know, it's just the way yeah. they work and you know, i think musicians have had to figure out how to do merch and t-shirts and sync licensing you know, that's what a lot of what I do. I do a lot of sync licensing to get my music licensed on Twitter. I mean, on Twitch. Yeah. So that gamers, like I, I joined like BMI, the songwriters, mm -hmm. you know, thing. And then I got a, a licensing deal where if a Twitch player, game player plays one of my songs, I get way higher rate than I do off of Spotify. Mm -hmm. And that's the yeah. kind of stuff you got to do. You got to, you got to, you know, and if I go play on a commercial and don't say I'm the ghost, for 30 seconds, I'll make more money all year than mm -hmm. I would for my catalog. <clears throat> but in order to do my ghost music, I do stuff like that so I can kind of do it. Um, yeah. But, you know, it's, it's like I'd rather just do ghost music, but sometimes I got to do other things so I can keep on doing ghost music. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's it's awesome. like we all have to bite the bullet. <laughs> yeah. I think luckily for us, we're, you know, we're in a really fortunate situation where we all have kind of side gigs away from music that actually you know help us pay rent and you know help us pay our bills and you know yeah we're not looking at music um as a profit driver for us because there's just you know so little money in it unfortunately but we do you know there is things that you know if we can get to a you know if we can make the band on 
a bigger a level, there's things like merch and vinyls that people are really keen for. And that's sort of, you know, like you said, touring and door sales yeah. and like that's the stuff that that makes bands, you know, at our size money, not not Spotify yeah, yeah. streaming, unfortunately. <clears throat> yeah, running your own vinyl, you can make, you know, from a thousand or 10,000 vinyls, you can make more yeah. money than you do from streaming all year, you know, if you do yeah, it. Yourself. Absolutely. Yeah, you know. it's it's such a it's such a shame though because here in Australia, I don't know if this is if, if it's like this all over the world, but there's such a there's been lately um, like a huge issue with distribution and manufacturing of vinyls. Like it just yeah. takes so long. I think so a plant burned, a plant burned down. Like at the beginning of the yeah, plant, there was a vinyl plant. It was like not that many of them. One of them like yeah. went toast. Yeah. yeah, but I don't understand. Vinyl is so profitable. Why wouldn't an investor say, "Well, maybe I should build five of these plants"? Totally, yeah. totally. And I'm like, everybody wants vinyl, and then you're gonna let that one plant go and build a new one. I'm like, yeah, totally. I'm like, I don't, I don't get it. <laughs> yeah, me too. And it's a shame because all it takes is like one huge, like, like I know this happened with Fleetwood Mac. Apparently, they were like, "Oh, we're re-releasing." dreams or whatever they're rumors rumors sorry yeah. um and all the vinyl plants were just like yeah we're just doing this fleetwood mac repress we don't have time for your little local yeah. vinyl yeah. and it's like okay great how else are we supposed to make money <laughs> yeah yeah it's yeah yeah it's just because what i love about vinyl though it kind of goes back i'm a child of the 70s and we're kind of getting near the end of the podcast, but one of the cool things about vinyl that I loved is the fact that you could work with an artist, do a concept picture for the album, right? Have liner notes, have a poster, yeah. could have stickers. It became more of an art project for the whole thing, right? So, and, yeah. and I'm kind of an album guy. Like I know everything today is kind of Spotify singles, and that's another mm -hmm. question before we close. But like I kind of grew up with concept albums, like Pink Floyd. And uh, Tommy and Quadrophenia, even yeah. Sticks, you know, his idea of being able to, even Meatloaf, but the idea that you could have an album, you're going to listen all the way through and there's a story. And I, I always really dug that. I thought that's really cool. And I, I do see that in hip hop, people do that. You have a lot of hip hop concept albums and people are willing to listen to 70 minutes all the way through. Mm. <clears throat> but in other genres, people say, oh, you can only do singles. I see in hip hop, you still can do concept albums. So I, I, I think it's just that if you can get your audience engaged, you can do whatever you want. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think we are very much in the mindset with Treebeard that we write albums, not singles. And mm -hmm. if you listen to Nostalgia, it's very much, I think, a yeah, pretty obvious journey, even though there's not lyrics across the whole thing, but you can totally feel the journey of just you know, disaster to calm to, you know, it just, it really has a, um, I guess, a sonic progression. And, you know, like you said, I, I think that's the best way to listen to music is to to hear the bigger picture as opposed to, yeah, I'm going to put on this three-minute song and, you know, well, that's, that's what it. the final kind of forced you. Like when I was a kid, I, mean, I would go with my brothers and, and friends in the basement and listen to Dark Side of the Moon. And, and yeah. because it's a record, you kind of had to sit there and you didn't pick up yeah. The, the needle and move it around you you know i listened to like songs in the key of life by stevie wonder and i would listen to the whole thing you know and that yeah, thing's like three, three, it's like three records and um it, it it's kind of so i'm kind of naturally predisposed to to listening to more than just one song but the kids today 
they're so into this like jumping around a playlist they never get to hear like a complete thought from any one artist and i think that kind of misses something when you don't listen to the complete picture of an artist because <clears throat> to me the deeper tracks on a record are the things that really show what an artist can do like the Absolutely. single is cool but the deeper tracks beyond the single i think show what the artist really is you know who yeah. they are yeah like we um before the album didn't even have a single um the album just kind of released and um we kind of went off uh what people were saying about it what songs seemed to stick out um, when it came to making videos and putting extra promo into and that kind of thing, because like certain people would pick up on this one song and we're like, all right, clearly people seem to like this one. So let's uh, give those people something cool and, you know, make a video or, you know, let's emphasize that when we play live and things like that. Um, so we would not serve singles very well, I think, because all of our songs are quite long and quite um, dense. So, yeah, kind of, kind of yeah, like in the Genesis Pink Floyd mode, of, you yeah. know, even like the <laughs> mode of, of progressive rockers. I mean, like my, I always run into problems because my songs are like eight minutes, entire ten <laughs> minutes. You know, I'm trying. I mean, yeah. I like Funkadelic, and I like Yes, and I like Genesis. I like the Peter Gabriel Genesis, and there you've got songs are like you know they got some songs are like twenty minutes. And I, that's where, that's kind of where I go. I'm a I'm a big fan of progressive rock, and I like the key changes. I like the, the kind of operatic things that you can do, and I like to tell stories. And um, there's something about like I can't do it in two minutes. I have a hard time now. Sometimes I've been able to do like a three four minute song because I know you got to have a single. Like even like you're saying, yeah. like even like Tommy. Tommy's got the pinball wizard. Right, mm. Tommy's this big rock opera, but the single is Pinball Wizard, and it's catchy as hell, yeah. and it works. But the rest of the album is not like that, you know. It, it, nah. you, can't find you can't find it. Well, they it, famously it, hated that song, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like Pete Townsend hates that song, I'm pretty sure, from what I know. Yeah, he yeah. just kind of was forced. I think his producers say, You know, this is cool that you did his rock opera, but the record label needs a single, so yeah. <laughs> You know, and that's kind of like what the labels do. It's just like, okay, I just did this big <laughs> idea. You guys said you're for it. Now you tell me I got to do like a three-minute song mm, just because yeah. you want it. So, okay, fine. You know, I'll figure it out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I think it's it's good to have one of those songs in, thinking in the mindset of drawing people into the bigger picture. But, yeah, yeah. I think it's, yeah, yeah. It's not something I think, yeah, we're definitely not in single mode with our songs. And I think we're actually kind of blessed that we don't have a massive label, you know, su supporting us. Like, I don't know what, what yeah, I, I don't know what the future will look for us, but I think it's really kind of nice that we're at this position where we have 100% control over what we do and, you know, we don't but have even, to do stuff we don't want to. I think it's even, it's very interesting that you get bands like Pearl Jam and Wilco and Radiohead, they drop their labels. Yeah, because yeah. they like, you know, they didn't want to get forced into the Spotify um, single world. They these bands still do albums and they yeah. still want to do it that way. Right. And the world isn't that way, but they do it that way. And the thing is, their fans are willing to follow them. And yeah. maybe they're not getting 10 million. Maybe they're not doing that, but they've got enough of a base that they can do OK running it themselves. 
And a lot, I yeah. think that's the, the future of music. If you even, when you see bands like Radiohead and Wilco and Pearl Jam running it themselves and then doing like what Pearl Jam like records every concert and then puts it out for yeah, their fans right. so they can always get every single version of them. A Pearl Jam concerts are like documented. And that mm. kind of thing, like a label was like, why would I do that? It's like, well, mm. you're not getting it. Like the Pearl Jam fan likes that. So, yeah, so sure. I think there are things you can do at a micro level when you're running your own business and music is a business, but like, if you are running your own art, you can make a decision that, yeah, I'm going to record these, these concerts and I'm going to give them to my fans. Right. Why not? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. You know, I, I think that's, it's so cool. Like living in the digital age, I guess, being able to, to actually just you know, get a digital aggregator and get our music on, you know, a streaming yeah. service without having to go to a record label and say, yeah, we'll sell our souls, just get our music out there. Like it, mm. it's really cool. And there's so many bands um, that are doing just really unique things to, you know, to, to make additional um, money, like um, that band, the Sleep Society thing while she, oh, sleeps, while she like, sleeps and yeah they've got like a yeah. whole like membership thing where they just are dropping content to their members and like yeah, just these little a, things that are just so cool a, i think that's do. a really cool thing that you can do like usbs you could do yeah. like 45s you could go and do like i saw this russian company doing reel to reels oh, this company it. that was actually building reel to reel packages for bands that could put their album on a reel like, yeah, I don't know how many people awesome. have real players, but <laughs> they, <laughs> people are doing cassettes again. They're doing vinyl. They're doing the USBs. They're doing all these things. Um, and I, this thing, you know, in vinyl that has like holograms on it and all kinds of cool stuff. It's just like you can do these micro batches and build a fan club, like you said. And the interesting yeah. thing is like Prince, you know, I'm a big fan of Prince. He went and did this 1-800 new funk thing when he left Warner's. And I have all the stuff that he did when he did that and you could get tapes and posters and all kinds of special stuff from this big artist Prince. He was selling like an indie guy and you're getting all yep. this like mm -hmm. very, it's super worth a lot of money now, but, but mm -hmm. it's like, it was very micro level stuff. He was sending out. He wasn't sending millions of it out. And it was kind of cool. They got this big artist was acting like an indie artist and yeah. was doing all this stuff. They now a lot of indie artists are doing what he did. You know, and he, he basically created an online store and a website and subscription. He would send, you, know, you get for like four or five singles a month. And then he'd do this weird radio show where he did humor. He actually did joke. <laughs> he, he had his own like like comedy show. We'd go for like 50 minutes and he'd do these like sitcom, like stand up little like uh, stories. And it's super rare. You can't really find it because he did these wave files and you just get it. All I'm saying yeah. is like you can do whatever you want. Um yeah. and, and I think that's what, what people I think the future of music is a band deciding what they're gonna do and how they're gonna do it, and then the world coming to them, right? Because they dig it. Yeah. Just, yeah. I, I think for sure. I think it's it's very easy, and we are definitely guilty of this as well. But um a lot of bands get stuck, I think, in the trap of yeah, we record an album, we put it out, we wait for people to ask us to play shows and, you know, or we book shows ourselves and we do that. And I think there's there's a lot of opportunity, you know, for us and for, for every local band to think a bit outside of the box and, um, yeah, do things like what you were saying with prints and stuff. Like there's just, you know, we're, cre we're a creative industry. So, you know, 
hopefully in a few years bands at a local level are doing things completely different and where yeah exploring new things i think it'd be pretty cool yeah i think that's the future is just understanding that you know you can you can be successful like you know at a micro level and, and 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 you don't have to sell 10 million records to be a band you you could live in a world where you're hitting way lower than that and actually still be able to get through and and then yeah. you don't yeah. you know get a deal where if you don't hit the guidelines that for the label that you do one album or two albums then they drop you with the way the world yeah. is now you can keep going for 10 years 15 years you know yeah. however long you want to go there's no like two album deal and if you don't make it done you know <laughs> yeah for sure and i think that's um part of the bonus of being in quite a niche uh, genre in scene of music like post-rock kind of is where it's um it's not you know four five minute three minute catchy pop songs it's very long expansive layered soundscapey kind of stuff and it's also a very niche international audience where um you know with us most of our fans are not located in the u.s if we're going off streaming and youtube views and things like that it they're um you know they're not in australia they're in the u.s they're in turkey they're in germany they're in uh i think there's a couple in mongolia like there's it's a very um wide expanse so um our music doesn't really fit that mold traditionally anyway so um with the sort of tools that we have with um you know social media and the internet and you know the globalization of music i guess it's um actually a good thing for us i think in our genre um and it's kind of um i suppose picking up the pieces of the former music industry that was operating before the edge of the internet and um just sort of trying to make sense of it i guess yeah yeah, I mean, I've been living in a world where, you know, I'm a very kind of small niche artist doing the weird stuff I do, my expansive sound experiments. But I found mm -hmm. podcasting as my other sideline. And this has kind of, people say, well, why would you take time from doing your production on your own music and then do this? In my opinion, what happened was like, as a musician, I'm always a fan first. And I like, I found that talking to the bands, being a musician, it helps me as an artist because I learn different perspectives. I get to hear new music, gives me new ideas, every band I hear. Because before I do a podcast, I got to research the band, I got to listen to the band, I got to understand what their vibe is. And as a, you know, as a musician, listening to new stuff always helps you. And I think, you know, and then building up a rep that you can collaborate or work with people and get them into a scene everything today is about a scene so that this podcast has a scene we do a festival all mm -hmm. the members, people who, who who come on get to be a part of that festival we're trying to build our own scene i think the way the world is building a scene like that with all of these podcast guests are in this scene eventually we've been talking to people in new york trying to figure out if we could do a, a live version of our online festival <clears throat> and actually do like an independent festival and build it like you know like coachella like an indie a very indie type of Coachella type thing, dealing with bedroom producers and emerging artists and get sponsors to help us. And there's been some interest in doing that once the pandemic gets more under control. Um, mm. And so, yeah, you, you just got to figure out a niche and maybe I started here, but I could end up there. That That's kind of how you can build something and then help other people. 
can pay it for yeah. like eventually maybe i get you guys to come if i get a sponsor the idea is the sponsor would bring the indie bands and take care of you and bring you to the festival yeah that right be, that would be the idea that's my ideal setup and i wouldn't make people pay i'm going to try to get sponsors to you know come in and do this thing to show people there's this scene mm, and, yeah. and that's what i'm trying to build and it's it's working. I've been mean, doing it since 2018. I mean, we started with like 2,000 people listening. Now we're at like 36,000. Uh, yeah, we're sure. slowly building. And, you know, our goal is to hit like 100,000, 200,000. And, yeah. and then get pushed higher. Now, we our, our other thing is like once we get pushed, I want to get told to only talk to A-level artists. No, we still want to deal with indie merging new artists. And that that's kind of like our deal. Um but we're glad that you came on the program and like anytime you have like a new record <clears throat> or a new project. And like I said, if you guys want to be part of that July festival, let me know. We can talk off the offline. Um, yeah, sure. that would be cool. But thank you. Everybody check out tree bird. The, the link's been there. Tree beard, <laughs> not bird. <laughs> I was thinking about the free bird. <laughs> uh, but, uh, tree, tree beard. Uh, or maybe where I, didn't, I never asked you like tree beard. Wh where'd that come from? What does that mean before we go? Um, I suppose it's obviously a reference to the Lord of the Rings, the book or the films, whatever people prefer, I guess. Oh, um, okay. at the time, yeah, it was a cool band name and it kind of fit with the concept of the album about Tolkien. Sort of, uh, so it's Tolkien, Lord of the yeah. Rings. Yeah. Yeah, 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 exactly. I thought uh, it, it was, was kind of but I didn't want to just presuppose, but when everybody, no, no, no. I'm not that original. <laughs> I can come up, come up with that on my own. Um, so yeah, it's that and it just kind of ties in with the themes of the music I was writing in terms of like nature fighting back against humanity and climate change and a lot of things like that, um, which we probably don't have time to get into too much now. But <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. I get no, it. it's, it's a Lord of the Rings reference. I'm not going to I love reference. I've talked to a band before they had like a, like a physics uh, formula reference as the name of their band. Well, and I was like, that's, that's cool. pretty cool. It's like yeah. I like bands come up with different uh, ideas, and it's, it's it's interesting. And I forgot to ask you what the history of your name, what it meant. But um, yeah, yeah thank you guys for being on again. This will be <clears throat> everybody wants to listen. It's going to permanently be on Twitch, Twitter, YouTube, and my Facebook channels. I'll give you those permanent links. We're also going to send you MP3 and MP4, so you can do whatever you want through um through our um we transfer partner. And uh, thank you very much again for being on. This will be on Spotify video podcast within uh, like an hour. And that's something that people don't realize is Spotify has a video podcast program, not just mm -hmm. audio. And we're in the beta beta on that. So every podcast cool. we do gets done as a video um, on Spotify. So we will give you that within an hour once it's up. Sweet. Awesome. Thank you so much for having us on. Really appreciate it. Thank you. Have All a good right, day. Take care.